0: Good evening, back the back community, bringing Albany community's knowledge. Uh, thank you for tuning in with us uh, tonight. Tonight of all nights is a uh, a night could be looked at as a night of celebration, uh, uh, could be looked at as a night of healing. Either which way, we will get into that topic a little bit later. Uh, tonight's guest that we have, the back community, is Mr. Patrick Williams himself uh pat thank you for allowing me to interview to, uh interview you tonight and i look forward to diving into your story bro
1: man thank you for having me thank you for the work that you're doing um in albany but then also i know you know people see this that are not out. Oh, all i see it i'm mm-hmm. not here in albany so i really do appreciate the work that you're doing brother okay okay listen man
0: uh, uh it is uh, uh it's a pleasure it's a it's an honor it's a labor of love, one, because, you know what I mean, Albany is truly a huge part of my heart, so, you know what I mean, it doesn't matter where I'm at in the world, I always end up trying to figure out uh, what I can do uh, for Albany. So um, uh, 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 this, uh, this podcast, this project in particular, uh, has been really fulfilling for me because I just know that there's so many positive stories, just like yourself, of people from Albany that were doing or are doing great things. And their stories sometimes get overshadowed by a lot of the negativity that's going on in Albany. And people think that the only products that come out of Albany is negativity. And that's incorrect. Mm, so right. yeah, like I said, man, I, I look forward to diving into your story. I'm gonna hit you with your first unofficial question though. Um, we have now survived over a year of uh, COVID-19 officially. Uh, We've lost over 560,000 people, Mm. Uh, but um, how have you and your family been surviving uh, through this global
1: pandemic, Pete? Um, We're okay. So I don't, you know, me, it's me and my wife and our two two children. We have a three-year-old, almost he'll be four in September, and then we have a one-year-old as well, um, and he'll be two in july so um all of us we're we're house hunting which that is a whole mm. market right now is crazy so, you know we're trying to you know we're trying to get in because we definitely need some more space and you know that's been it i work in the school system so i'm in trenton which is the capital mm-hmm. of new jersey it's very much similar thing about albany it's very similar to albany and it's makeup um and i work at you know, I work for the Trent School District as a school social worker. So this year has been very different and it's been very mm. tough in in, a, in some ways and then easier in other ways. So it's hard to do this virtual learning thing. Mm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of my fellow teachers, fellow educators are, you know, really, I would say just really holding it down the best they can and really doing the best they can with this virtual learning. Um, me as a social worker, I do, you know, individual um individual uh, counseling for students um my wheelhouse is older kids
2: Mm.
1: this year um i got pulled out of the high school and now i'm doing elementary all the way up right and that's been different it's also been kind of just heavy sometimes because you get to you get to know these kids and you get to know their parents and now with new challenges like i got you know you have some parents that you know they, they, they require assistance and it's like, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do. There's only so many resources you can give folks. And it's kind of like everybody has been hurting, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, it was kind of hard because everybody was kind of struggling. Um, now I think that one more supports are there and then also things are starting to slowly open up. So you have, there's still a need yeah. Uh, I, I would say it was it's definitely a lot less uh, shocking, you know, mm. than it was in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, as far as like, you know, outside of professional life, me and my wife, during the pandemic, my son was, uh, my three-year-old was um, was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. So he's high-functioning autism. Um, and there's some, ish, you know, there's some things we deal with there. He's speech-delayed. He has some sensory issues, um, you know. There's just some food sensitivity stuff. Mm. And so getting him services, especially getting him services in the pandemic, mm. you know, it's it's been it's been a it's been a journey. I'll say that it's been a journey. But you know, we're very blessed and very thankful that one, we know how to navigate the system, and then two, mm. there are people who have helped us kind of along the way, and so that's been something, and just. You know, just, we got two toddlers, one- you yeah, know, and, and we're trying to keep them, you know, entertained and have enough experiences. Like, my wife looked over to me like a couple months ago and she was just like, you know what? I think P- Price is my, PJ's my oldest, Patrick Jr., and then Price is my youngest. And she looked at me and she was just like, I think P she's like, I don't think Price has ever been in a grocery store. Mm. Wow, that's true. Because yeah. also like, me and my wife are, we're the only ones here in Jersey. And so Mm. she's from Mississippi. You know, I born in Georgia, grew up between Georgia and Albany, New York. So all my, nobody has family here. So it's like our church Mm. family and, and, and us, but then also kind of like, you know, not everybody's quarantining at the same level. So it's kind of, and also we, we, we were particular about, you know, who we leave our children with anyway. So, and then everybody else kind of it's added burden kind of thing with the whole pandemic thing. So we don't really have a have a um, babysitter. Like we are so happy that our parents got vaccinated because we like, yes, take these yeah. kids. come on up.
2: <laughs> Get these kids
1: like <laughs> give us a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. So um it's been it's it's been a it's been a journey, but we've been able to manage it. I will say one of the greatest things, you know, that I look forward to, I love the fact that I have been here. You know, mm-hmm. think about. Remember that uh, movie, Pursuit of Happiness. Yes. Smith and his son, and you know, his son was homeless. the The real, the real guy I remember got interviewed, and his son got interviewed by Oprah. Mm-hmm. And I remember Oprah asking the son, "She was like, you know, did you know you guys were homeless?" And he was like, "No, I didn't know we were poor. I didn't know we were homeless. All I knew is that my dad was there all the time, mm-hmm. and, and like." I can remember back a couple of years ago when, you know, I was working a job. My my wife stays is a stay-at-home mom and she does phenomenal on what mm. she's doing and everything. So I I hold down kind of like the, the job aspect. And I remember it got to a point where I was working, I was doing lift. And so I was literally mm. coming home, eating something, getting in the car, and then driving all night. And my look, my my oldest one. He started calling me, and this I think this is before we had price. But he, I left so much. He started calling me bye bye, instead,
2: mm-hmm. of,
1: and that hurt me. And so one of the greatest things I could say about this pandemic is like I'm home. Yeah. So and even in the days now, I'm I'm having to go in certain days, but even in those times, like they get to see me almost all the time. So I love the fact that you know yes. they have that experience. So. It's, it it ain't definitely it definitely hasn't been all bad you know. Okay,
0: okay. I actually uh, I actually um, you made me think about something that J C. Jason Coleman has said in uh, one of my earlier interviews, and he was mm-hmm. just saying that uh, the pandemic has actually given him and his family an opportunity to spend more time uh, with one another because he's typically on the road, he was typically on the go, and he was like, man, I would have never thought I would have this much time to spend with my family. So there's plenty of positives. Uh, that have happened uh, during the pandemic, uh, as well as negatives to counter those. But, you know, I mean, as my pastor says uh, at my church, he always say, you know, uh, if we come out of this the same way that we went into it, we must have been doing something wrong with our time. right, Right. You know I mean? So, but yeah, there's uh, uh, we've been blessed uh, through the pandemic. Um uh, both uh, uh, through negatives and positives, but we've tried to find some creative ways uh, uh, to come out of this better. So, right. uh, uh, thank uh, 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 thank you uh, 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 for opening up on that one uh, with you and your family on that one. And I'm glad that you guys are safe. I'm glad that you're not bye bye anymore.
2: Right,
1: right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no, my uh, youngest one, when he sees me coming through the door now, he'll do he like, say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah
1: so yeah, that's, yeah. That,
0: that, that's what matters most man family right. uh, family matters first I mean uh, family matters most uh, and uh, sometimes even as my shirt would say you know what I mean choose you first you know what I mean so right. you know, I mean we got to choose ourselves and spend our time appropriately but um, okay absolutely all right. all right well listen man actually uh, I think you already uh, uh, you already answered question one. So uh, yeah, you answered question one. So I'm going to hit you with my favorite question that I ask all interviewees. Um, uh, uh, Pat, what's your favorite place to visit in Albany and why?
1: Oh, man. So it's changed over the years. It's changed over the Hmm. years. When I was living there, it was um, Soul Kitchen.
0: I, 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 I would expect that from you.
1: Now so like kitchen, that was my, I mean, that was my hangout So That's where I got my, you know, that's where I got my start in writing poetry and spitting and performing. Um, now, if I'm coming back. I would love, and I hated that we couldn't do it last time, especially having kids. The New York State Museum. Okay. Is like one of the, like I, you know, now I have the opportunity to visit other museums and everything. We yeah. have one of the best museums. Mm in the country, I would say. And I would love for my kids to experience the magic of that. And also, you know, the carousel up Mm. um, under the, um, uh, uh, on the the State Mall, Mm. um, on the top of the, what is is that? Is it in the egg? Yeah, it's in the egg. Yeah, I think it's in the egg, yeah. Yeah, so just that, like, I think that's one of the things I definitely look forward to um, besides, like, my mom's house, obviously, like, okay. my mom's house. Um, and she lives in North Albany now. Um, but, like, yeah, those places, I would love to, you know, allow my my, my children to experience that, you know. Okay. 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 Uh,
0: that has been um, uh, a place that was picked a lot among, uh, I think, uh, you might be interviewed. Uh, uh number 30 for season one. So oh, wow uh, okay that has been a heavily uh picked uh, uh area so I okay. have heard plenty of the story so I understand why that's a favorite for you as well and um yeah I, I wonder if the sandbox is still over there man that that, that little park over there uh, uh... on the outside now that that was my spot it was like <laughs> put out here, and we gonna play tag and uh you can't uh, you can um touch the sand. If you touch the sand, you out. So oh. I was, I was never that, I was never that gifted or agile. So all the other kids, they could jump from one joint and be, and I was too scared I'd be like, well, I guess I got caught because I, <laughs> I ain't gonna make it. I ain't gonna make it. But yeah, oh, man. Well, let me see. All right, Patrick Williams, we're coming back to you. Uh, thinking of your younger self. Mm-hmm. The younger version of you what is something you wish someone would have told the younger pat williams oof
1: um one of the things i think about so i don't know how many people know this but it's a part of my testimony is that you know besides now i'm a licensed social worker and i have a master's in you know, social work and a master's in divinity from Princeton and you know a bachelor's from Lamont. One of one of the degrees I'm most um, proud of myself for is my GED. Mm. I I dropped out. I, I I went to four different high schools in the course of five years. I went from LaSalle mm-hmm. to Albany High, um, went then went to Gilderland High, then went back to Albany High, then I went to Schenectady High. And I was homeless for a time in in mm-hmm. that space, and and eventually, you know, dropped out. Um, and that's the reason why I went to Schenectady. I was in a shelter out there, and mm-hmm. um, when they kicked me out the shelter, you know, I, I, school wasn't my priority at that point. Um, but I wish that I had taken advantage of some of the academic opportunities. Mm-hmm. I had, or just some of the clubs and some of the things that you know some of my some of my counterparts took took advantage of mm-hmm. I was um in high school. Um I remember what was that, Mark Bob Mark uh, Bob Simple? Yeah, Mark Bob mm-hmm. Simple would do those plays, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. Um it? Uh, uh
0: too deep entertainment.
1: Yeah, too deep entertainment, Something yeah. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. And then like, I remember um, a friend of mine was a part of the, you know, the honor society and those kind of things. And, you know, I didn't, I had the brain. I didn't think, I don't think I had the maturity. And I think that, and I didn't necessarily, my my mother at the time was um, disabled. So I didn't necessarily have all the support. There were people who definitely stepped in uh, shout out to my godmother, Akua Gibson, who took me into her home, you know, and, you know, my sister, uh, my god sister Imani and Naeem. Uh, but, you know, I didn't have all the exposure that I, I, like, one of the things I tell people, I'm a musician in my heart. Not mm-hmm. in my hands, but definitely in my heart, I'm a musician. <laughs> but I wish that I had a, like, you know, taken full advantage of some of the uh, you know, the music classes, or I went, I frequented the Equinox at some,
2: mm.
1: some point, and, you know, they had guitar classes and trumpet, but I wasn't concerned about that at the time, so mm. I wish I had a taken full advantage of some of those opportunities.
0: Okay, and and, and I mean, and, and uh, to be fair to yourself and giving yourself some grace, too, it's kind of hard to focus in on, on, on that aspect of life you know what i mean the um electives or the different things that we can add to us when we got real life situations in front right. of us Absolutely. like i might not have you no know, electricity at home you know what i mean it was like like you said there was a time period where you were homeless so i can only imagine you know what i mean like i tell i tell anybody uh and i've been and i've been saying this from the time period that i finally made it out and i got the confidence to be myself it mm-hmm. was just like you know the kids in the inner city are some of the most gifted kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, because of what we have to face. You know what I mean? You got to face homelessness. You got to face uh, things with uh, with your parents. You got to face streets and the gangs outside. You got to face the fact that we might not have as much money or resources. You got all of these different variables. And then we're still expected to produce educationally. We're still respected to be, you know what I mean, uh, uh, um, um, have good morals, have good standards and mm-hmm. all of these things. And it's just like, it's kind of hard to focus in on those things when I'm worrying about how I'm going to eat at night. Right. When I'm worried about I don't have no electricity. You right. know what I mean? I used to tell a story. It was like, it was a, there was a time period uh, where I didn't have any electricity. Right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, taking um, the uh, uh, the uh, a long yellow extension cord from the basement. And we mm. lived on the third floor at the time. And I ran it all the way up uh, uh, to the third floor wow. and uh, I put extension cords through every room in the house. So we had electricity, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, but it was just like, you know, those types of experiences can either uh, 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 make and shape you mm-hmm. or break you. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just like, but I always tell people, it's like, imagine the things that we have to uh, um experience on top of the fact that you're asking me to pr- produce my best self academically sometimes right. it's about uh, what comes first and my priorities are uh, my self-preservation uh, comes first and and that's a last resort and it, I hate to say it that way but sometimes those situations take precedent over like you said you wish that you had the exposure to do those uh, uh more artsy things with the music the hands-on things because you, you had the love for it, but at the same right. time, I had some real life situations in front of me, and I'm trying to do it. and as young people, we just aren't as we don't know how to be as supportive um as we could be, and I've learned that right. growing up, too. you
1: know what I mean right and that I will say that too, like you know, I experienced bullying and all of that, and I will say you know and even because my like I said, I was back and forth my whole life, so mm-hmm. every time I moved back to Albany. My mother was in a different apartment. We were in a different neighborhood, and I was in a different mm-hmm. school. So I attended the same school twice in Albany, uh, except for you know Albany High. And then when I got to the high school, like I'm coming from the country, like mm. I'm coming from Georgia, but not like Atlanta. I'm coming mm. from my grandparents' house. Like we we had a family farm. So you know clothes were like, if it's clean. Mm. And if it didn't have no holes, you were good. You're like mm. nobody was, you know. Some people, as long as you had like a pair of Nikes, and then have to have, do the Jordan mm. A4, Air Force Ones, mm. you had a pair of Nikes. That was kind of it. You had a, mm. you had some socks or whatever, maybe some Nike socks Like mm. really check in for fashion like that. And then I move up to Albany, and it's like you ain't got yeah. Tim's. Wait, what are what are Tim's? What do you mean what you, you don't know what Tim's are? And you don't. And then, you know, that was around the time Mm. my mother was getting sick. So, you know, we really didn't have that much. Um, So it was, you know, it was, it was kind of heavy. It was kind of heavy. But I would say, you know, to to piggyback off of this question, I would tell my younger self, it does get better. Mm. And then also, and this is something that I took, took me years to learn. Failure is not something you are. It's something you do. Mm. And... For years, I'm talking about almost till I was 30 years old. I thought of myself as a failure. Mm-hmm. Period. I was in I was in Princeton Seminary, you know, in class, you know, or in in at the lunch table with somebody from Howard and somebody from, you know, uh, from Morehouse and somebody from Spelman and then there's somebody who, who went to Harvard and somebody who went here with there. and I'm you know, I. I'm from Lemoyne College, like this little school in Syracuse, nobody knows about. I wasn't a valedictorian and all of that. So I always felt like if I'm here, I'm here out out of the pity of someone else because it couldn't have been on my own merit or something I did for myself. And then I'm not good enough because I know I'm a failure. So even the good things that happen, they happen in spite Mm. of being a failure. Not because I'm not a failure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember sitting in a college course and um, Donald Caps, mm. God bless his soul, he passed away um, years, a couple years back. But they used to call him Easy A Caps. Mm. Give you an A. Like <laughs> <laughs> He's going to give you an A in his class. But he came up in the era of Vietnam. He told us why. He was like, very soft-spoken dude. You had to like lean in to hear him. And he, you know, he told you why um, he came up in the era of Vietnam. And so mm. as a professor teaching college kids in Vietnam, if they, if they flunk out, they're eligible for the draft. Mm. So they like, there was professors that said, I'm going to give my kids an A no matter what. Mm. And so he took that, you know, as, as kind of his pedagogical, you know, mission all along. So if you send him in a paper, he will write all over it. You know, give Mm -hmm. a critique and, oh, this book, you can think about this. What if you're thinking about this? But in the end, he's going to give you an A in the class. um, We were sitting there reading a book he wrote called Losers, Loners, and Rebels. And the book was basically, he he studies like pastoral care and everything. And this is when I was um, going into my, I did a dual program. So I did a, Mm -hmm. a Masters of Divinity and Masters of Social Work program through a partnership with Syracuse University. And so this was one of the courses at the seminary that I had to take as a part of the, the social work program. And so this is, I think it was Pastoral Care of Men or Pastoral Care of the Life Cycles. And this is book we had to read, Losers, Loners, and Rebels. And it's all about basically this idea that like a lot of people who go into clergy or a lot of people who are in leadership, especially in clergy, are either one of three categories, losers, loners, or rebels. And then it looked at the life and then and examines other people like James Dean and, you know, these other people that, you know, he knew. Um, but he said something during the, during a class one day, he was like, you know, we're, he's mumbling, we're like listening. like, <laughs> and, and I remember I had zoned out, I'm looking at my book or I'm on my computer taking notes or whatever. And he said, failure is not something you, you are, failure is just something you do. He said, everybody fails, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. That doesn't mean you're a failure. And I remember hearing that and it was like chains started just break. Like I felt like chains started breaking off me. And this was like 30 years, man, 30 years. Cause at at some point I thought, you know, as a kid, sometimes we internalize the, the messages our families tell us and all that kind of stuff. And you know, there was a running joke in my family about how lazy I was compared to my cousin who was who was mm-hmm. very studious. And they, even now they call us hot dog hamburger. Um, mm-hmm. They, you know, I, I'm, I'm Babity in my family and my cousin's Dobity. She's like, you know, and the, the story is, oh, well, if you left Babity and Dobity in a room and you locked them up with some food, mm-hmm. some work to do, Dobity wouldn't touch the food and he finished the work. Baby D then ate the food and then find a way to break out the, break out the room <laughs> doing the work and it always stuck with me it always stuck with mm. me and they would compare me to a, a uncle mm. uh uncle Isaac who was you know he for lack of a better term he was alcoholic and um he didn't do much with his life my grandma you want to be like uncle Isaac and like all of these things kind of I internalized and so even after I was starting to do good and I you know, I went back, you know, after me dropping out of, and get my G, I got my GED and then I got into college and then I graduated college. And then all, like I said, all of these, all along the way, you have people telling you a failure as well, because my guidance counselor, when I went back to Gilderland to get my transcripts, told my mother, he's never going to make it into college. And mm-hmm. it makes it, he's never going to graduate. And that, I think that's a part of what I, why I do what I do now gotcha because i recognize like i tell people i'm a hope dealer and i'm trying to get these kids hooked mm. because so many people have told them they're wrong or they have given up yeah. on them and i remember you know after i graduated and you know i'm i'm going into now i got into princeton and all this kind of stuff which i don't that's not a i don't carry like a chip on my shoulder because i recognize mm. Anybody could do, you know what I'm saying? Like anybody mm-hmm. could be in this space. It's not like I'm special or anything. But what I will say is like even in those places, I felt very much like a failure. Not okay. the imposter syndrome. And so when he said that, it was just like, wow, like and it and it changed the way I thought about myself. It changed the way I presented myself. Okay. Um, it changed everything. And so I still actively have to say, you know no i'm not a failure i'm this i'm that i'm still like coming out of that but you know it's definitely has changed the way i've seen my life mm. and it's a trajectory of my thinking i would say okay okay
0: listen you said so much in that one pat that you know what i mean uh I, I i i i i really want to unpack <laughs> um uh and one thing that uh, one thing that stands out is this. Uh, uh, what you said what you ended up saying was that uh, it gets better later it gets mm-hmm. greater later you know what I mean and it's just like um, the more mature I've become as a person the more I've realized that you know it's a level of empathy that we just don't understand as young adults
1: right right yeah.
0: you just don't understand it you know what I mean there's you don't have the, the mental capacity to really understand it because we haven't seen the world. We haven't seen we haven't seen as much of how devastation could 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 uh, ravage a family or a person. You know what I mean? Right. The older you get, you know what I mean. Hopefully, for some people, because some people still stay the same. But typically, the older you get, the more mature you become, and you realize that there's so many other things that are going on that are yeah. underneath, you know what I mean, what we see. He's like, oh, you might mm-hmm. see Tyrell acting out this way or whatever, but why is he acting out? And you start to be able to unpack or uh, 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 take away those layers and realize, you know what, Pat has something else going on here. Right. I mean, it's not, that, it's not that he's not gifted. It's not that he's not uh, uh, just as brilliant as everybody else, but it's like I got these other things going on on top of the fact that people have been telling me my whole life that, you know, I'm just going to be this type of this type of person. It's like we have to go through this process of unpacking that and also, you know, I mean, getting to a point of realizing that God designs each of us uh, uh, for a particular purpose to do particular things. And if we realize that it gets greater later and we keep doing the work, you know, I mean, uh, we'll get to the greater later.
1: But a lot Absolutely. of times
0: we don't get to the greater later because it's just like, you know, nobody cares. Uh, I don't see any future in it. And there is a lot of lessons in pain. Mm, period. Yeah. 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 But no, I didn't even know your story. I'm over here just like, damn, Pat's got a dope ass story. <laughs> and, 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 and I hate to say dope, like in the sense of like uh, overlooking the hardships uh, uh, that it was because I know it wasn't nothing dope about that one. And you're going through it but when you look at the fact that you know i had so many things writing me off yeah. and i found a way to uh to take my negatives, to take my experiences and, and produce the man that i am today is like imagine what i could have done with the same level of confidence that i have now if i had that in the resources then if i right. had the people strategically around me to do that and so many of us that's what we're missing that's what we're lacking and it's right. just like what well, a story like yours would be able to resonate with so many people. Because honestly, it's just like, yo, that story is a common story. Mm. But like, as a young adult, we don't realize it. Now I can say, when I see someone moving around all of the time, and, and, and me and my boy Peyton had this conversation, it was just like, he was like, it took me to get older to realize as a kid, I thought that that was, I thought that was dope. But I was like, I just tell my mom, it's like, wow, you know, oh, they moved there, they moved there, they moved there. And, you know, my mom had told me, she was like, well, Tyrell, actually, that's instability for a person that's moving all over. Nice. As a kid, my mind was just like, are you hating? It was like, no, nah, they, they got this, they, they moving there, they moving there, they moving there. It was like, no, nah. but you live long enough. You live, like I so said, you get to that greater point and you realize, actually, you know, uh, uh, it's not as great as it seems. And you have to be able right. to go uh, below the surface to realize, you know I mean, the, the dysfunction there.
1: Got you. Know, gotcha. mm-hmm.
0: but yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Let me see. Uh, I got another question for you, right along the lines, because I know, uh, I know you mentioned your uh, your journey, uh, uh, getting your GED, Lemoyne, um, uh, going to Princeton for divinity school. Do you think education saved you or opened up doors for you? Why or why oh, not?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> 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 so, like for me. It wasn't that I wasn't smart. Um, and I will say people who are academically successful don't necessarily have to be smart. Mm-hmm. I know stupid people with, G, with, with PhDs, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And I know a lot of really, really intelligent people that don't even have a GD, yeah. that high school dropout. Um, but for me, it wasn't the fact that I couldn't do the work. Um, it was a couple of different things. I think one, it was just a lack of concentration and focus um a lot like you said there was more present issues at certain points um but i remember like my mother always like had this dream of me going to morehouse when i was a young man and if i had to do it like if i had the option i would have definitely gone to hbcu um, (laughs) and i will definitely be encouraging my children to go my wife went to dillard Mm. and uh in louisiana but but she in new orleans but she's like I don't want to press my kids to go to HBCU. I'm like, my boys are going to an HBCU. And I think it's good because it's a place where there's very few places where black children can be in the majority. Yeah. Um, and have a and have a cultural experience where your culture is the prominent culture. And so I think that's why I love um the, the ideas of HBCUs. Um, but I will say that I remember realizing that I wasn't like going to graduate, like I wasn't going to, you know, go to, uh, get it, you know, go to, go to high, I mean, uh, graduate high school. And I remember thinking like, I will never go to college. Like I'll never be able to, you know, I'll never be able to, uh, you know, say I'm a college graduate and everything. And then at some point, like I was, I was working, did in jobs for like four years between like the time that I got my GED and the time I went to college. So by the time I went to college, I was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that I remember my first semester coming home and just having a very different outlook on life. Mm. Um, I'm, I don't say that everybody should go to college because I'm, you know, I understand college is not for everybody, but you should have some kind of, you know, advanced education after high school. Because I feel like, and college affords you the opportunity to try out adult life. Yes. You know, without all of the consequences that adult life has, you can get to try it out. And you get to socialize, and you get to network. Like, I think a lot of us, sometimes we don't get the, 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 the networking piece and the kind of setting you up for the future, right? So now the students that I have, I just talked to one of my one of my former high school students who's now a college student. And I just told her, um, you know, about an RA position. She's like, well, I don't know if I'm gonna do it. It's my senior year next year. I was like, listen, mm-hmm. that could set you up for R D position in graduate school. And then you could go get your classes paid for because you're an employee of the institution. Like, you know, and it's all of these hacks and tricks that. Like we learn, by the time I tell people, like, by the time you know all of it, you're graduating, yeah. right? But it does give you an opportunity. Like, if I listen, if I knew what I knew then, like mm-hmm. if I knew now what I knew then, I would take that refund money, I would bank it and buy a property. And I would have flipped that property because mm-hmm. at that point the interest rate was the like the lowest interest rate you can get is a college loan. Mm-hmm. So Get a, get a multi get a two family property flip it or live in one rent out the other at this point like the understanding of how wealth works and how business works and how you know these things these institutions we have more resources in these institutions than like while we're there than 99 of the world yeah. so like i gotta i got to go to ghana in my graduate program for almost three months mm-hmm. and- when it was all said and done, I might've spent like $180. Nice. Because the college subsidizes it. I know people who parlay, you know, their degree into a scholarship program or into, you know, or, or into another PhD or PhD or whatever. And now they're, you know, they're academic hustling. And I'm like, you know, that's, I think act it, it gives you access. Yeah. It gives yep. you access on a level that I don't, that you don't always have access on your own, right? Mm-hmm. And then it also, I think, gives you a structure mm-hmm. to where you can kind of start thinking in ways. Like I remember towards the end of my um, undergrad, I so I graduated with a communications degree um, in television and radio, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: I had like a sociology, English, and philosophy minors because mm-hmm. I was taken, like, we were, well, we were a, um, uh fine arts college anyway so we had a core curriculum so it wasn't too many more classes i had to take to get those minors and then also like i studied what i loved, right mm-hmm. and so any course that was about black people or any courses about race or whatever like i was taking that and i found out that i loved sociology mm-hmm. well, by the time i was going to change my major i was like i was going to have to stay there for an extra year do all this stuff. i was like nah i'm not gonna do that okay. but I started thinking like a sociologist. Mm-hmm. I caught myself. I was like, I'm looking at an article or something. Like, oh, this would be a dope. Or I, I was looking at a like a, a a news story on Serena Williams. Oh, that would be a dope article. This would be blah blah blah. Like it 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 allows you the the it opens up your mind to thinking differently. Gotcha. Not all schools, but you know some schools like you are taking these various courses and courses that you wouldn't these books that you might not ever be exposed to or these conversations that you would never be exposed to. And it allows you to start thinking critically and differently than you would normally. And so now you can, you can now see life and in totally in various different aspects that you might not have been able to see it before. So I definitely think that, you know, college in, in, on top of that, you know, the, the access to certain jobs and all that kind of stuff, obviously. But yeah, I think that has definitely been a a key to kind of me being where I am today. Okay. Okay. Uh, Once
0: again, Pat, uh, I'm just going to be honest. I'm loving your answers because this, honestly, this is like, listen, I would probably, I'm probably not (laughs) going to get through the end of this because what you're saying is so much to unpack. Mm. I literally just had my nephews over here with us for the weekend. And we were just telling, and, and we were telling them, uh, like you know, well, one, their their school has them doing projects, right? So it's like it's a project based uh, school instead of just learning chemistry the normal way, they'll they'll, they'll wrap it uh, into uh, into some type of project in oh, real nice. real life, and that's what I'm telling. Them. I said, well, actually, that's what you want, because a lot of times, you know, we end up just learning a concept just in a book, and we never really realized how to apply it in real life and you're like, oh, I'm never right. gonna see it again. But we see it, you see chemistry all day. You see math all day. You just don't right. know it, right? And I was just sitting there trying to break uh, break it down to, and I said, imagine, like, if I knew if I knew what I know now back then, mm-hmm. man, would my, would my road uh, had been shortened up, you know what I mean? So now I'm, I'm sitting there telling them, they're getting ready for eighth grade, and I'm telling them the same thing. I said, listen, well, this is what you really wanna do. You wanna read more? Mm-hmm. you know what I mean so uh, uh you can play the game but also make time to read more you're gonna have right. to learn more than what you know what I mean the world is is saying that you need to know no more outside of that but also you got so much access they got so much access to everything right now where it's just like yo right. you can learn to hustle they they're they're actually going over podcasts and in, in, in seventh grade right now and what? I was just like well, yeah That's you should tell sounds- them about your uncle's podcast no, yeah. exactly. so it's like, and you know so just learning these whole things imagine right. what we could have done if we had those tools early exactly so but sometimes uh, uh uh thankfully because you get a chance to be greater later you can shorten up the road and the process for so many others as i'm sure you do uh, uh, uh through uh through your regular works And am just like well you know what because now you have had your own personal experience as mm-hmm. well as your eyes and your maturity will allow you to to pinpoint. You know what that person might need a little bit. It might be something else going on there. You know what right. I mean, or you know what I mean because you know I live through it now. So now you know I get to tell everybody. Now I'm I'm always eager about telling people about uh, uh, my story or my process. And it's one because if I can do it, you can do it too. Because I come from the same exact situations. Right. And then you mentioned sociology. Uh, you know, I did an uh, interdisciplinary program at Johnson C. Smith. So oh, I did nice. sociology yeah. and business management. And, you know, I'm always uh, looking at the world and how we interact with each other, why we interact with each other, right? Exactly. Or why we don't. You know what I mean? It was just like, I was just fascinated with it. I was like, wow, this, this is a thing? And it's just like, yeah, it's a thing. It's,
1: it gave me language to stuff I already knew. Because it was, like, us mm-hmm. like, being raised in the hood, like you get to see this stuff, just mm. that you don't have a language for it. And then I'm you don't like, even know people are studying this, what, like, and so like you, like that's why I love social work and in the areas of sociology so much, and especially race. I tell people, mm. not everything is racist, but everything is racial, everything yes. is racial. And, mm. and being able to see like the intersections of race, gender, of politics, of how systems enact on one another. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, it's dope. I love it. Mm-hmm. And and to see how
0: to see how it affects different communities. Like right. one of my one of my sociology classes was on urban planning, right? And in mm. it, it just talked about um, uh, one of the, one of the topics was was how the urban areas end up getting like the older and stale products, right? So mm-hmm. one they get it at a higher rate. Right. They get at a higher rate and then they end up selling these older and stale products to the community because most of the people who live in these communities don't have cars or access to go to the grocery right. store or to a Walmart and stuff like that. So like you said, sociology gives you a language to stuff that you have already experienced. Right. But you never you never had the words for. It. You right. Know, I, I promise you, as soon as I learned that I came back home. I went into the grocery store, and uh, I mean to the corner store, and I started looking at all of the dates of the products in the stores. Now, mm. mind you, I'm
1: I'm cool with the owners of
0: the store because I studied Arabic, so right. those were those were my guys. But at the same oh time, really?
1: That's yeah. interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, I was insulted because I started looking at the dates on it. Some of the stuff was already stale, uh, so it, it had already expired, and then and then they're selling it at a higher rate you look at products like Pepsi and stuff like that, they'll end up buying it cheaper because it's closer to the expiration date. So they get Mm -hmm. it cheaper and then they still mark up the price and we pay more for it than what you would pay if you went to the grocery store. And from that point, like I had never bought anything like that from out of uh, uh, um, one of the corner stores again. And it was like, I learned that through sociology. It It gave me a language to speak on things that I didn't even know right i was already dealing with so i love what you just said with that yeah
1: it's called a poverty tax it's the same thing is like when you go into the corner store so we used and we weren't as culture back then so we used to call them the beep shop but mm-hmm. like you go into the cor- corner store and you buy a two dollar something but you got a credit card mm. like nah my friend we can't we, we got a we got a five dollar limit mm-hmm. ten dollar limit or whatever and then we'll charge you an extra 50 cents. Well, that's illegal. Mm. And you never see that happening, happening outside of black, the, the black mm. and black communities. You never see it happening in like the Gilderlands or mm. you know the the Lathams. Like you won't see that. You'll see that, you know, on Grand Street, mm-hmm. you know, on Pearl Street. So it's a it's another tax that you're placing on poor people on top of, you know, on top of everything else.
0: Mm. yeah there was uh and I, actually i want to say what is the guy's name something rochester but uh, uh he had a book on the black tax and, mm-hmm. and he starts just talking about all these additional ways that uh that black people end up paying more over time just because of their rates right it was, uh, yeah Well, yeah man well, let me see Uh, and uh, this will be an interesting one too, uh, because I know uh, uh, you went uh, you went to a lot of different schools um, uh, 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 before you ended up going to college. Uh, do you feel that you were ever uh, uh, miseducated by the public school system? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, if so, uh, uh, how did you recognize the miseducation?
1: Oh, absolutely. I remember I got into an argument in class with my. With my um, social studies teacher about the mm. ways that they taught about uh, the European slave trade, mm. remember that, and we were talking about, oh, well, you know, they migrated to the. I was like, no, they didn't migrate. Mm. Um, they were taken Bruh. and forcibly, like, well, let's not a that's, mm. let's not call let's not you know call it a forced migration. And I remember like getting into it with. <laughs> so I thought, and and especially when I was in Gilderland. Um, Gilderland was very racist. Mm. To say, very racist. As a matter of fact, I had what I later recognized was a panic attack when I went back years later mm. um, to watch my um, God Brothers Moving Up ceremony, but it was in the Gilderland uh, gym. And just the experiences that I experienced there I recognize now that what it was was a panic attack. I didn't know it was then, but I just felt really anxious. I had to, I walked out of the gym, I had to leave because I was like, I can't deal with this. And so many people. And so, uh, but I remember one being, so Gildolin, I think they had around that time around 2000 students, and the students of color were about 30, 30, period. And that's not black, that's black, Asian, whoever, like uh, Spanish, whatever. It was just 30 of us. And then Mm -hmm. on top of that, almost all of the teaching and leadership were white. I think I had one English teacher who was a black woman, Tanya Manning, a shout out to her. But, um, and then I'm coming from Albany, right? Mm -hmm. Albany High. Um, So I remember really being like targeted i my first day i was 30 seconds late to a class because like i didn't know the school i literally i wasn't dawdling i was getting the class Mm. over um and i remember like the teacher telling me i had detention and Mm. the way i thought about all right the way i thought about education is we're a partner in this learning thing right i'm here I'm coming here to get knowledge. You're coming here to bestow knowledge or bestow some kind, some kind of wisdom so that I can use it to whatever. So I consider myself kind of like a partner in learning. Hmm. Um, they did not consider me like that. And most teachers, like now working with you know, educators, I understand, like, yeah, most teachers aren't gonna consider you like that. Most teachers, like, I'm the adult, you're the child, this and then the third. So I remember getting this detention. Um uh, deten- and it was like, like I said, the first day I got, she's like, oh, you have detention. I was like, oh, no, I don't, no. And I wasn't being defiant. I was, I, lived, I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't. I'm new. Like, hey, mm-hmm. new. My first day, came in here thirty seconds late, literally thirty seconds late, whatever. She's like, oh, no, you have detention. I was like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm new. Like, I don't know the school, whatever. She's like, oh, well, do you want to have a conversation with in the front office? I was like, oh yeah, cool. Like, it was very cordial it wasn't mm-hmm. nothing and so she said she sends me to the front office and I remember meeting one of the vice principals who was racist both of the principals who I met ended up being mm-hmm. very, very racist um but I remember he he started asking me questions about where I came from and sizing me up and um he was like uh so all oh yeah you're coming from Albany oh yeah Albany, and everything oh well you, you know how many kids does Albany have in it oh you don't uh okay so how many floors does that school have in the center so you mean to tell me you can get to where you have to get to in Albany but you can't get here on time? like you just Mm -hmm. you know and then and then there was some straight Mm -hmm. um racial like there was these kind of wannabe skinhead kids um and they would do racial like straight up racial stuff and I remember going into the office and reporting it and um the the office would say like what did so what did you do to provoke him. Mm-hmm.
0: ain't that? Calling me a
1: monkey, he called me a monkey. You do recognize that's a racial slur, right? Like th- that's why he's calling me that. Well, what did you do to provoke him? And so, these things like will go on. And I remember at one point I was being targeted by a teacher, and I later found out. So basically, this teacher, I can, I can almost guarantee you she made kind of a pat with the principal that I would that every time she sent me out he would write me up mm. every time she sent me out he would write and what they were doing is they were creating a paper trail I know it now because I'm on this side of education they were trying to create a paper trail and towards the end of my tenure at in Gilderland and it would be like she would write me up literally one time you know another kid was talking she's like Patrick go to her office and the kid raises, oh no that was me that was me I don't care. Patrick go to the office. And I was like, "What?" And each time was more ridiculous. So I was like, in my head, I was like, "This got to be like now. Please mm. got to be re- like they're gonna say side with me." And every time he was like, "Oh no, we'll just keep you here. We'll just keep you here for the some for the for the you know go sit in, in school for the block or
2: whatever
1: for mm. creating a paper trail." Towards the end of my tenure. um... I was taking also. I was living in Albany at the time, going to go so I was taking two school buses, two city buses to take a school bus to get to school. Um, I ended up waking up at like I had to be at the bus at five fifteen in the morning mm. in order to get there on time. And so my towards my second year, I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. Um, I was missing at like, I think towards the end of it, I would, I would come once a week. Because I was missing, you know, classes, um, and I ended up. I remember my last time, the principal, you know, pulled me in his office, and he was like, you know, I'm. He closed the door. He's like, I'm gonna work to get you expelled, and if mm. you bring up, if you try to fight it, I'm gonna bring up your attendance record. Like he told me straight up, like I'm conspiring against you, you know. And I think a lot of times that. <sighs> The curriculum, one, the fact that, you know, Black kids don't, we don't see ourselves ch- in the curriculum sometimes, mm-hmm. or we don't have people that look like us teaching us, sometimes it can disillusion us. I think history is one of the most um, interesting things, you know, yeah. and world history is one of the interesting subjects ever, but when I was in school, I didn't like it. It wasn't until I heard about Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. That's mm-hmm. told from the oppressed view, right? It wasn't until like France Fanon's Wretched of the Earth or the ISIS, like that you get the stuff that you get in college. That mm-hmm. I started to oh wow, like these, this is the history that they you know hid from us. Um, and also, like I said, like the places that teachers can go in in abuse and educate. I, I, my third grade teacher, a friend of mine. I, I, that's my last thing I'll say on this subject, but. I, I recently attended a couple of years ago, a wedding of a good friend of mine, Bernadette Galeard, now Bernadette Miyabi. Um, but one of her cousins, we were at the, you know, the rehearsal dinner and um, she had said something. She was like, yo, we were in, we were in, I don't have too many people that know me from like way back, but we were in second, we were in third grade together. And so she was like, she mentioned our third grade teacher and she said, yo, she abused you, didn't she? Like she treated you horribly, and it took me back because we were all joking and laughing or whatever, and I hadn't gone there in mind mm-hmm. in a while, and it made me go back to third grade. and I remember, like, this woman was abusive. She mm-hmm. she picked on me and maybe one other kid in the class who probably was autistic. Now that I know mm-hmm. what autism is, he was probably autistic um but she only allowed third graders to go to the bathroom twice a day Mm. and if you kept on asking her she would put you in the corner until you peed on yourself and then she would publicly embarrass you Mm. I remember there were times I was always like a messy kid she took my desk she made me sit on the floor and then she dumped my desk over my head like around the class like in front of the whole class they call me a pig and you sit in your you sit in your filth, pig and i remember mm. we had a like a journal every morning that we had to do and it was a prompt every morning and years ago i found this book i found a journal like that we kept and i guess my only way of kind of fighting back was to talk to her in a journal mm. so i was like i don't like you when you i don't like it when you treat me this way when you pour my And she never, every day she would comment and say, good or whatever. Those days that I would do that, she would never comment back. Mm. But then she would never mistreat me that day.
0: Mm.
1: And I'm like, so like, those- Because she knew you started, she knew
0: you recognized what was going on. You were, you couldn't couldn't say it any other way other than writing that I'm articulating it. And it's just like,
1: wow. So, you know, those are some, (laughs) I would say to answer your question, those are some of the ways that I feel like, you know, I was mistreated. And I guess in in some ways I see that happening, you know, a big part of me being a school social worker is an advocate.
2: Okay.
1: I always tell people like I'm for the student and the family, period. And so I've got, it's gotten me in trouble professionally because I'm unwilling to throw a child under the bus or I'm. Or I'm unwilling to act in ways that are not full of integrity, when I know that this wasn't this kid's fault, this wasn't mm-hmm. the family's fault, this is the district's fault, or this is you know, this teacher's fault, or this principal's fault, or whatever. So, you know.
0: Shout out! Shout out to you, um, uh, like I said, for once again taking your experiences to um, empower you and motivate you. Uh, uh, to teach and to interact with the students the way you do, and Crystal Word um, in her interview, she said the same thing. She was like Tyra. She became a teacher uh, primarily because of how uh, she was mistreated by her teachers, mm-hmm. um, and it was just like you know, I never want somebody else to experience that again. So sometimes mm-hmm. we have to be the change that we're hoping. Uh, 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 um, yeah. Uh, we got to be the change that we want to create. But yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Let's see. And actually, uh, I know. Um, um uh, I, I, I almost just had a, a grin come uh, come to my face. Uh, and it shouldn't shouldn't have been a grin, but it was a, it was a grin that came because <laughs> earlier today. Uh, 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 we talked about uh, uh, what we're about to get into right now Mm -hmm. Um, hey uh, back community earlier today you know we got three guilty verdicts Mm -hmm. um, uh, in the George uh, Floyd case which is actually going to lead me to my next question Mm -hmm. Um, we've we have uh, uh, dove into a lot of different areas but Uh, We're going to go into uh, social unrest. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Black Lives Matter movement isn't just about police brutality, but it's also about uh, dismantling systematic racism. Right. Right. Uh, We have one of the largest uh, showings of unrest um, uh, in what had happened with George Floyd to the way that it activated communities of not only color, but uh, other nationalities to say enough was enough right. because you know what I mean your blatant disregard for the black man's life. Right. Uh, so, but Pat, I'm gonna ask you, and I can only imagine uh, uh, where you might go with this, but I'm gonna get this question out. <laughs> um, uh, if you were in charge of mobilizing uh, a Black Lives Matter movement, uh, what are mm. uh, what are two uh, uh, things that you would focus on, and even before you answer that, let me, let me do this because I I, I I I get bad sometimes. Let me let me ask this first. Okay. Um, how does the? Because really we don't normally have spaces to say this. So mm-hmm. you know, how does how does hearing the guilty verdict on all three charges, or how does hearing the verdict today? For uh, uh, Derek Chauvin uh, affect you? What does that mean to you? Um, yeah, what does that mean to you? And then I'll then I'll go back to that question. Got you. Um, um, yeah, what does that mean to you? And then I'll then I'll go back to that question. Got you.
1: Um, I will say it's a particular kind of guilty happiness. Hmm. Um I say that because so all of this comes on the backdrop. So one, let me just not discount like what just happened and the historic nature of what just happened. Because I think all of black America was holding on with bated breath. Yeah. Pairing that he was gonna be tried like innocent or found you know guilty of a lesser charge and the fact that he got three all three counts were guilty on all three counts is amazing like it's it's mesmerizing it's something that we did not expect i think you know when you look at the killers of medgar evers and the killers of mcdill and then uh, the killer of Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman. And then you look at all of these historic trials where, you know, even Botham Jean's killing murder, right? And the way that she got five years for taking this man's life, for for for, for breaking into this man's apartment and shooting him, you get five years? Like, so we did, I feel like us as a Black community, we're all holding our our breath i know me personally i didn't watch the trial because you know what one i i watched the video and that was enough for me and and that did something to me like um i i kind of a couple years back swore off of like watching the videos of black death um but now like even but the thing about george floyd which i think is unique which we all experience we're in the midst of a pandemic everybody was shut down so it's almost like we were forced to watch this, right? Yeah. And so you can't turn away. And so the fact that yes, like this man has been tried. And now I don't I don't know what the trials of the other three officers are, but I hope they get um, convicted of all their counts as well. Um it it is something to be st- it's something to be said. I was on Clubhouse when the,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the um when the verdicts were being read and I was in a room of lawyers and black and black people and everything and just the eruption of people mm. just people's elation people's relief and everything it was a good thing it made me feel feel like the OJ verdict. I remember I was mm. sixth grade when the OJ verdict came out. And I remember how I I knew as a black person I, I didn't even know why I was celebrating, but I knew I was celebrating. Mm. Which was interesting. Um so I felt in that same space. But I say guilty happiness uh, uh, because this was all on the backs of George Floyd dying, right? Not only that, we doggone near had to burn the whole world down in order to get this guilty verdict. Mm -hmm. The whole world had to like, the whole world protested for months, for months, and we got a guilty verdict. Now, I will say this but we also didn't get sweeping policy change. So the comments that uh, um, President Biden made, and no, he's not perfect, but I, I, I commend him for coming on national television and talking about how he was pleased with this verdict of this trial mm-hmm. and how he uh, talked to the victim or the, the family members of George Floyd and how there must be sweeping changes and how it must be on a federal level. Like, I appreciate that. Even if it's, I don't believe it's just talk, but even if it was, I appreciate that. It was a—it was something that Obama didn't do. Now, Obama couldn't do in the right. Trayvon Martin case. And I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna knock it. Oh, he didn't say, because he couldn't. I understand. As black folks, we understand that station, right? And also he made comments before the trial. But, you know, even him, he said, you know, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon Martin. That's as far as he could go, but yeah. we we understood what he meant. But the fact that like Biden's going even further, I appreciate. I also, I'm also not disillusioned though. Yep. Because last week, while we were looking at this trial, we were also looking at the killing of Duante Wright mm-hmm. and the young 13 year old man who's police, you know, police. Mm-hmm they claimed that he had a gun, turns out he had his hands up when they shot him and he was only 13 years old. Like, so we're looking at these things in real time. So I can't be so elated. Correct. Right, that I lose focus that they're still killing us.
0: Let's not not forget uh, the video I just that just came out about the the soldier, the lieutenant.
1: Yes, yes, that was the third thing that happened. Yeah. Where they pepper sprayed this soldier yeah. for like a, an erroneous stop, mm-hmm. and so I think about that. I think about that in light of it's funny because on my Facebook, it, you know, you get Facebook reminders. So seven years ago today was was Easter Sunday, was Resurrection mm-hmm. Sunday. And I just wrote a quick post because I was like, "It's interesting that they have this African American man, and in Jesus, he was an African. He was an African man who was crucified by the state, in state-sanctioned murder, and for crimes which should not have warranted any kind of death penalty. Now, Jesus was innocent, right?" And then we are celebrating the memorial of that, of that Sting murder. We are memorializing his resurrection, which is in a sense a vindication against the state that murdered him and also a vindication of death itself. Hmm. I find that all these years later, we're still having to celebrate vindications of death. And, but the only difference is Joyce Floyd is not gonna raise from the dead. Correct. He's not gonna raise from the grave. In a sense, we will, we have the opportunity to, right? And to and pick up our voices and to, you know, do, do the acts of social justice that we need to do. But it didn't bring him back. Like this sure. guilty verdict didn't bring him back. The money that the family got, like I'm, I'm glad on both counts. But they didn't. It didn't bring them back, and mm-hmm. so I look forward to a day. And on top of that, I like I said, I have two little black babies. Right. I Have three black sons, right? I was never more terrified. There's two times that I that I was just totally undone. One is when Eric Garner died,
2: mm. and
1: it was something specifically. So I'm a Sigma. Shout out! Shout out! Go mob to to the Good Frat. Um, we had our centennial in 2014, mm. right? Now I know you're alpha. It's all right. It's, it's, <laughs>
0: it's
1: all right. You know what I'm saying? Y'all got Martin Luther King. It's Look, all right.
0: Everybody's it. entitled to make mistakes, Pat. It's all right.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <alpha>. <laughs> but it, I mentioned that because we, we were celebrating centennial around the time Eric Garner died. And I remember coming back and my wife told me, she said, I don't want you to see the video. We were engaged at the time, but she's like, I, I didn't want to show you the video because I knew you were celebrating. And when I came back up like to watch that video, it did something to me. And not to say I ain't seen other videos, but the, the distinct thing I recognize in myself about Eric Garner is the fact that he was 55 years old. And at some point, I had thought in my mind that at some point I would age out of the crossfire. Like I would age out like staring at the barrel of the gun, right? Um, I'm no longer hanging in the streets doing the things that I used to do with people. Like I ain't never, I was never no hard dude, but I hung around some folks that wouldn't do, you know, all too good. So it's like, I could understand if I got, you know, hemmed up then or, you know, mm-hmm. as. A, but I, you know, I'm a little older now. I'm a little more mature. I'm kind of, you know, I got an education and everything. And so I I thought my, the lie that we tell ourselves is that, oh, I'm a little removed from this, mm-hmm. right? But Eric Garner let us know you're never too old, you know, you're never too old, never too far away. And then, um, and then, uh, um, so that just broke me. And then also, like, the fear that came over me when the doctor said on our first baby, like, you're having a son. Mm and recognizing that I was going to bring a Black boy into this world. Uh, my mom said I never had a healthy fear, health, health, healthy sense of fear growing up for myself. That was the first time like I had fear mm. in my heart, because I'm like, what am I bringing my sons into? So yet again, I'm looking at this, and while I'm happy, I'm like, there's vindication, but I would much rather it not been a situation to be vindicated in the first place. Gotcha. And I pray and I hope and pray that like my children, my black boys are protected. Your black boys are protected. Our black girls are protected. Like, like it's not just men either, but like that's, that's the heaviness that I'm feeling on this day. The mm-hmm. fact that we even have to be here to celebrate the conviction of a man that was able to kneel on the neck of a black man for nine minutes, nine minutes, and we had to watch it. Yeah. Like, that—that's the heaviness, and the I guess the joy. There's I a-
0: appreciate that. I appreciate it because it's unfortunate, right? Yeah, I I, I appreciate your entire answer uh, because it's unfortunate. Uh, it's unfortunate, and it's like you said, you know, the countless times that something like this has happened, right? It took people taking to the streets and reacting the way that they did. It took a global pandemic to put right. everybody where they couldn't go watch sports. They couldn't go travel. They couldn't go do it. Everyone is forced to deal with it. And, you know, Uh, those are like one of those tipping points those are one of those moments though and you know um you know it 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 did both superficially and and authentically it did create a conversation Mm -hmm. that needed to happen some people Uh, I took the superficialness of it and ran with it and it became a thing with. but it did allow some authentic conversation to happen. And sometimes in situations, it's not this, like we talked about COVID. We got to talk about the positives that come out of it too, because yeah. to get 27 million before the trial even started. Right. Was a win. No, like I said, it's not going to bring them back. You know I mean? I'm, I'm not saying that I don't want to take it out of context, but you know, We've had so many other cases where nothing right. was was given. Yeah, to get three guilty charges is is it is, is is amazing, but you know what I mean we lost another black man's life yeah. to the point that it's engraved in everyone's minds because we've seen it.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: that right there doesn't go away. Right. You know what I mean? So those things, yeah, I, I appreciate your answer, Pat. Yeah. I'm still coming back to this one. Up. Okay. If you were in charge of mobilizing uh, Black Lives Matter, what are uh, a two or three things uh, you would like to focus on for the Black community? Or what do you think we should focus on collectively?
1: Um, One, I think that we need to talk about a radical redistribution of wealth. Mm. So I always said in the pandemic, there was three things I feel like the policies should have like the policies that could have had uh, a positive effect on us. And that was one um, universal health care mm-hmm. Two, a living wage and three, a mandatory uh, mandatory sick leave, because mm-hmm. if we had all the three of those policies, people wouldn't be scared to call for their jobs. Mm-hmm. They have enough money to sustain themselves if they if they had to stay out for a while. And then also they could go to the doctor for free. So you didn't have people who are, you know, working themselves to death, even though they were sick, even though they're yeah. contagious to get these things. So I would say like in those spaces, just basic human necessities, which I, I outline as living wage, universal health care, um, job protection and sick leave. So those are one of some things. Um, the dismantling of our criminal criminal terrorist system because mm. we have kind of, we, we, we militarized our police forces. Um, we have let them loose on black and brown communities. Um, I know that this presidency, you know, they're not for, they don't want to say, oh, abolish the police or dismantle the police. Um, I am, I'm down for it. Um, and, and, you know, we always have this conversation. It doesn't mean that we won't have police, but a majority of your municipalities um, reflect our our military, which is like 50% of the budget goes mm. policing. Like, I'm a social worker. I, I'm a school social worker, but I've been in people's homes over there in crisis. Like, I know fellow social workers that go in when somebody's in active crisis and all this kind talk people down or have had to, you know, get situations and not every, not every, you know, situation needs a police officer. Um, They're only trained one way. Police officers shouldn't be mental health clinicians because that's not their job, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe in a space that we can kind of divest out of our policing system And criminalizing black and brown communities and maybe even dismantling this mass incarceration state so that we can you know be less traumatized by these systems and i guess finally i would say providing a lot more opportunities so this is the thing when we talk about violence in the black community when we talk about and I'm not talking about black on black violence is not a thing. I don't I don't like to use that term. But um, when we're talking about black uh, 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 community violence, or we're talking about um, you know uh, drug use or any kind of thing, when you when you bring resources and pathways out of poverty into a into a community, any community, they tend not to violence just goes down. Crime goes down. Mm-hmm. Because now people have, I tell people like this, if you have a dirty, if I give you a dirty glass of water and I say, here, you can drink this dirty glass of water or no water at all, what are you gonna do? You're gonna drink the dirty glass of water? But if I give you an opportunity to say, hey, I can give you some clean water, then you're gonna drink the clean water. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So I I feel Mm -hmm. like if we have more opportunities, especially for young people, but for everyone, more opportunities for them to see different pathways to success and see spaces in which they see themselves in those pathways to success and supports to get them in those pathways and to keep them there, okay. we'll see, we'll see a significant drop in crime, a significant drop in poverty, a significant drop in drug use and alcohol abuse and domestic violence, like all of these things across the board will will, will start to drop away, I believe. Okay,
0: okay. I like that. I'm over here. Listen, I'm over here. Like, yeah, man, I like that. I like that. that." (laughs) Listen, man. uh, 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 I'm gonna hit you with. I'm gonna give you about two more questions. Okay. Maybe three. uh, 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 Before I let you go. Okay. What about your life's path, Pat? Are you most
1: proud of? Hmm. My, my fan, my, me being a father and a husband mm. by far. Um, I tell my wife all the time, I'm striving to create a to be a father and to be a husband and to create a blueprint that I've never seen. I've never seen, um, being raised as a you know by a single mom. Um, shout out to my mom, Deborah Williams, she's still in Albany. You see her, you. Stay six feet away, but you know, <laughs> give her some love, give her some money. Uh, <laughs> y'all out there. But now she, you know, she struggled. And I see, and also my mother was was one of the champions. I've seen her do activism work since I was a kid. So like struggling and striving for black people, right? Even sometimes at the expense of herself. But it was just us at times, you know, and that and, and that and it left a huge deficit. I'm most proud that my children will never know what it is not to have a dad in their life, Gotcha. I'm most proud that I'm trying my best, and I'm not always perfect, but I'm trying my best to be an attentive, you know, husband full of integrity, somebody that my wife can not only love, but also be proud of, right? Um, And in areas that we need help, shoot, we need help. Going to counseling, doing whatever. Like, okay, like I'm being down for the hard work of marriage because marriage, boy, mm. no. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, I'm over here, was-
0: like, listen, counseling. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, uh, even externally, the amount of work that you got to do not uh, not to jump in and take over, but that's like Jay Z said it. That's some of the hardest work you you will ever have to do. Right. I mean it forces you to look at yourself, it forces you to bring out the best in yourself to preserve the sanctity of probably the best thing that ever happened to you.
1: Right. And so, like, for me, that, that question is easy. We me and my wife, and I'll leave it here. Me and my wife always talk about like, okay, the social justice, like activists of you know, yesteryear, like the Malcolm X's and the and the MLKs and mm. her theory is like they were they were failures. I was like, wait, first time she said, I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, look at their children. Mm. The children like don't they're they're suing each other. They don't barely talk to each other. She said, if if mm. you change the entire world, but then your family unit falls apart, you didn't succeed. And I was just like, dang, and it made me reevaluate. And it's that's that's and it's right. Not only is she right, it's also scriptural right? Mm. Our first, you know, as a, as a, and I'm or I'm an ordained, I'm an ordained reverend, I'm an ordained elder in my church. Our first ministry is our family unit. Mm. So it can't be out of balance, right? And so it's easy for me to say, yeah, that's, that's what I'm most proud of. I'm most mm. proud of being a dad. I'm most proud of being a husband, you know, and I, I don't take those jobs lightly at all.
0: I thought, I thought, I thought Patrick Robinson, uh, before you was, was my favorite interview. Uh, uh, uh Patrick Williams, quickly. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: let me see, man. Uh, how has tra- uh, travel, uh, traveling, traveling impacted your worldview? Oh.
1: Okay. So I'll give you an example. Me going out of the country and I haven't been out much, um, but I, I always go back to Ghana because it was an opportunity for me to look at myself in a different light. Um so I, I'm always feeling like I'm I'm very like pro-black and you know I'm for the diaspora and and I still am. Um, but I you know, I always thought, you know, we are all one black people, right? across the world, no matter what, this and the third. And I remember when I went to Ghana, it was like, I had this idea that I was returning home. Mm. But it's almost like you've been kidnapped from home, but when you return home, home doesn't look like what it did. And then also they don't recognize you Mm -hmm. as being from there. And so I had people calling, you know, people called us a Bruni, which mm. roughly they tell you it means Westerner, but the real translation is white man.
2: Mm.
1: It's white man, and they call—they will call you a Bruni. They call me a Bruni. They will call the white European guy a Bruni. Like it doesn't matter. I'm a Bruni, mm-hmm. and I was, you know, I was really taken aback by that because I was just like, I thought we were people. And you know, I would say I'm black. I'm black, and it's like, no, you are not black. You're not black. You're not black. But to them, to me, black is a race and it's an ideal, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a color. It's like, no, mm-hmm. you're like you're lighter. You're like you're light skinned According to them, I'm light skinned You light skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but after having conversation, also one last, thing. I would say, in this country, and it's and it's really good to this. To this in this country. I'm always almost seen almost always seen as black and then male, right? Mm-hmm. Those are my two identities that I show up with in any any time I walk in the room, I'm black male. Um, and sometimes male goes first, sometimes black goes first mm-hmm. and sometimes they walk in at the same time. But rarely do I ever think of myself as American. Mm. When I went over to Ghana. I was American first. And then I was male, and I was not Black. Mm. I was just like, wow. Like, being able to experience that from the other side made me kind of understand. And um, their connection to lineage. Like, one of the deacons in the church, um, he is Jamaican. He, When I told him my father was Jamaican, I'm Jamaican. I'm Jamaican. Now, listen. He's <laughs> never been outside of Ghana. His mama got <laughs> Ghanaian. Daddy, name, grandma, granddaddy, all that. But because they have a deep understanding of lineage, mm. he actually told me the story of the first missionaries that missionized, Presbyterian missionaries that missionized Ghana, right? Mm. Basically, the Europeans came over there, talked to the chiefs and said, hey, this is Jesus, you know, y- y'all know, should y'all should holler at him, right? Jesus mm. was like, <laughs> all right, we believe you, fam, but our people ain't gonna believe you. So you need to bring us over somebody that looks like us that could tell mm. the story to our people. And so they went over to Jamaica and got Jamaican mm. missionaries. And one of those Jamaican missionaries is the descendant, the, he's the descendant of this deacon is the descendant of that Jamaican missionary. Mm. In the lineage, he's Jamaican, mm. no matter how many ancestors back. And it made me think about the ways that we we treat each other and the ways we would not treat each other if we if we understood that we came from the same lineage. Because it's mm. hard for me to de- dehumanize you, to kill you, yes. Yes. rob from you, rape you, or whatever, if I consider you my brother and sister, right? Mm. And we have a kind of this ethereal idea, but if we we need to really embrace that as a black people, mm. and that was something beautiful. And one last thing was um, I realized as a I'm looking at it in Christianity, uh in the light of Christianity as well, and I recognize like. I've came to the decision that Christianity and capitalism cannot coexist Mm. Um, because capitalism in its truest form, um, to break down kind of capitalism, in order for some to be rich, many must be poor. Be poor. And Christianity kind of flies in the face of that. And I came to that decision because I was just like, I'm in this small town. I was in Acropong, which is an hour north of Accra, the capital. Mm. is more kind of like city-like and it's more if you went like and there's definitely an American set or Westerner section like that would be the most kind of comfortable you would be right mm. after you start traveling out into the different regions those those towns are a little less uh, developed I would say like I didn't see a grocery store the whole time mm. I was there and when I came back I was it was jarring to me um but I recognize capitalism could not exist without. Mm. Or, or even in these spaces of poverty, I, I remember I'm walking down a dirt road, right? And I'm in a city that does not have a sewer mm. system. Mm. They have ditches that line the streets. And so in the morning, they'll take their chamber pots and or their buckets and then throw out mm. their, their waste in the morning. Waste. So it's an exquisite, you know, smell in the mornings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they have to go to the well and, and pump well water, right? And this is the difference between relative poverty and absolute poverty. So uh, Tyrell, you said like you didn't have electricity for for mm-hmm. for, for a time and growing up, right? Mm-hmm. In that country, there's rolling blackouts. The whole country has a blackout for four hours a day, mm-hmm. every day because the country can't afford electricity. And so that's like absolute poverty, right? But at the same time, there was a Coca-Cola sign on the side of this shack that I'm walking by. And I'm like, Coca-Cola got way out here to take these folks' money. Like, no, no. Uh Capitalism, no. It ain't working. Uh What I will say, though, also, is I felt a deep, as I continue to be there, because I wrestle with these things, right? Um, I found a deep affinity for, like, I was like, I'm not from this place, and then also, I'm I'm definitely from this place. Mm. Even in the church services, like I saw the church mothers there, they got a whole service and treat, and I don't know what they what they saying, right? Mm. But I understand that rock. Yep. I understand the rock of the church mothers. I understand like that that cadence of the voice. Like I understand certain things. I'm like, you look that looks like my auntie. It looked like my cousin. That looks like you know my my auntie, my grandma, or whatever. Like I understood that, and then I also understood that um, I got a uh, chance to uh, visit Elmina and Cape Coast. Mm-hmm. And those are the slave castles, right? Mm-hmm. We were taken from last. Uh, the, I was able to look at the door of no return, and I recognized like my ancestors had to make it. Like I, I. So they show you the cell. And the cell is like where they would put in the unruly slaves, and they would basically let them rot there, like let them die. And I was like, I wonder if my ancestors were ever in this in this um, in this cell. And I was like, no, stupid, they couldn't be. Somebody, somebody had to make it. (laughs) Because I'm here. But then that hit me. I was like, wow, like I'm here. I'm here. And you find traces of ourselves in in you know our ancestral cousins. Hmm. So in a way I can recognize, no, I'm not Canadian, but in a way, like I'm definitely, also like my father, my grandfather's family did like, there's an anthropologist in the family, apparently my mom told me and he did the same, found out like we have family over. Um, But I was just like, man, like the ways that we, we create culture
2: hmm.
1: in a new country even with people from different tribes that knew a new language, like it's like nothing else. Like we have created this tribe here in America as black Americans, we, our ancestors have created this identity. And now the whole world wants to be like us. So there was a young kid in in the town close to when I was leaving and he was walking by and I saw he had Brooklyn on his shirt. I was like, yo, and they call one of the the, 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 the little eateries that they have, little bars, uh, Chicago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. I was like, so so it's it's a wanting to embrace, we want mm-hmm. to embrace each other, you know, in, in a sense. And so I found like I, I finally reconciled is a very beautiful thing. I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? Yeah, I am I am I am that and I am not that at the same time. And I mm-hmm. can be okay because there is definitely a connection to the diaspora even okay. through even through all of this. Even through years and generations of trauma, there's still this connection. It's a duality.
0: It's a duality, right. and I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight three uh, uh three areas that uh, uh I'm gonna have to double back uh, uh to at some point, not tonight, uh, <laughs> uh but financial literacy, mm-hmm. what we could do, um with financial literacy uh uh being uh the bedrock or the foundation in urban communities how much mm-hmm. that will change us talking about financial literacy uh that whole example of uh you know what you could do with a refund check as opposed to buying a car buying clothes and stuff like that uh mm-hmm. cuz i know uh on earn your leisure uh one of the guys from earn your leisure is uh, one of our um, uh financial advisors so but nice. that's just a- so we follow him all of the time. So, but one of the people he had was a gentleman who ended up doing the same thing. Uh, he took his, he took his refund, he took his refund checks and started buying houses uh, uh, and stuff like that. So anyway, a right. couple, couple of areas that I wish I had, I, I, I had more time to dive into would be financial literacy, uh, 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 mental stability, <clears throat> mm-hmm. because we talked about it, but we talked around it. Right. that's true. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of the the issues or that uh, the a lot of the issues that plague us um, got exposed, especially with COVID. You know what I mean? On a a heightened level. And Mm -hmm. as uh, as a social worker, uh, uh, you know, I mean, as a reverend, you know, I mean, uh, I would love to been able to uh, to dive into that one a little bit more. And then the last one was cultural relevancy, you know what I mean? Just being Mm -hmm. able to, like you said, that duality piece, right? Just like, yeah, I know that I'm connected there, but then I'm not there. It was like, it's not until you step outside of America that now you become an American first, then a man, then a black man, you know what I mean? It was just like, I lived in Morocco and it was just like, you know. Morocco changed my life. And I went to Morocco mm-hmm. after 9-11. So after the time period where everyone is uh, 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 stereotyping uh, 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 those from the Middle East or, or Arabs and, you know, I mean, it was all of that. Mm-hmm. Just like, mm-hmm. Listen, that experience changed my life to the point that I came back as a different person. I came back right. as a different person, literally.
1: And it was yeah. just like
0: those impacts, that connection uh uh because a lot of people don't even understand the the history of morocco and it was like how powerful the ottoman empire was and taking over all mm-hmm. of it's joint it'd be like you know so i would have loved to and as a as a fellow sociologist you know <laughs> i just think that uh, uh uh we would we would make for great conversation so yeah. i'm sure i'm sure we would uh uh have to uh, revisit that also yeah. in, 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 your project, uh, uh, that's coming up. Um, but, um, uh uh, 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 for, uh, for a different, uh, um, for a different reason, but Pat, it, uh, uh, speaking to you has been refreshing.
1: Oh man. God bless you, bro. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I appreciate this conversation. Absolutely. And thank, listen, let me just say one thing. i I appreciate i i said it in the beginning but i really do appreciate what you're doing it is very important for people and especially young people it doesn't like young people our age older people to mm. see somebody who is from the neighborhood who who, mm. who knows this knows the struggle and who's able to not only overcome but also you know teach others how to do it i have a Line in a poem that says, "You know, um, how does it go?" I said, uh, uh, um, "Don't settle for there are. Uh, there's there's making tsunamis with your words and and monsoons with your ideas, and then swim 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 there and then come back and come get us." Mm. Like there's some people that are called to go and come back. And mm. I see that you are one of those that are called to go and come back. So thank you for doing for doing what you're doing. Mm. God, God bless your work, sir. This is ministry, uh, whether you know it or not. This is mm. ministry. Mm. So, and, I, I, I,
0: I, and, and I will willingly accept that. And um, I believe I know that and understand it to a certain Extent, but uh, I truly appreciate um, the appreciation for it, and it's like I said, man, it's a labor of love. Um, and I ultimately do know it's God's work, you know. What I mean, like I said, man, if you uh, the full story, the uh, unadulterated story would be, you know, I mean, uh, we would be here uh, <laughs> uh, for hours for the both of us, and but it is rewarding. To be able to highlight um, a Patrick Williams, you know what I mean, and be able to say, "Listen, you know what? We got more in common than what you actually, than than, than what the surface level would have you thinking." Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what I learned in Morocco. It was just like we have more in common with each other than what we actually think of. Right. Even in the hood, it's just like. You know, I grew up on one side of town, beefing with other people from the other side of town, but I was, we got more in common with some of the people from the other side of town. So it takes us to get to, once again, that level of maturity of realizing that, you know, we actually got a lot more in common with one another if we have the tools and the resources and the time to take the opportunity to listen. So Pat, thank you for, for sharing your story. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to listen. And the back oh, community, man. I think that we've all been a uh, 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 blessed uh, uh, with tonight's guest. So uh, Pat Williams, I really want to uh, say thank you again. Thank your wife. Thank the kids thank uh, you, my for brother. Uh, uh, allowing me to steal you. Last question for tonight. <laughs> okay. If you are, uh, uh, if you are reading any type of books, are you watching any type of pa- uh, podcast? What type of oh. things are you uh, uh, staying into, social media accounts that you follow that you might be able to uh, pass on to the back community to, to get us involved in some of that work?
1: Yeah, um, hold on, I'm gonna pull this book out. I think um, am uh, if I have it in here, man. Um, nope, I don't have it. But I will say with podcasts, um, check out The Nod. Um, they' are doing new episodes but it's a it's a podcast they, the, the tagline is blackness blackness is uh, greatest fans and basically mm-hmm. they study they explore everything black um I think one of their first episodes I found out was about like uh, grape soda so mm-hmm. <laughs> oranges of grape soda and then they got a, a knuck if you buck episode giving to, <laughs> to the knuck if you buck like it's it's dumb. Nah. Like, <laughs> that is dope. Um also uncivil. Um uncivil is by Chingchirai Komenyika and Jack Hit. They're not not doing any new uh, episodes. Um but they are um t- taking history if anybody's interested in like the real history of George Washington or mm-hmm. the real history of slave revolts, like that kind of stuff, like that's 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 uh what they're talking about. And there's one who they they really um, outlined the first slave ever um, recorded in this country how and then how they took indentured servitude and they turned it into slavery through the court system and so that that's really dope. Um, I use that for a teaching with high school kids uh, that I did and they were they were blown away as I was. Um, there is. LeVar Burton reads. I don't know if anybody's interested. Yes, the Reader Rainbow dude. Butterflies in the Sky. Like, yeah. So he has a podcast <laughs> where he reads these short stories. It's, it's like adult short stories and they're dope and they're super dope. Like, I, I love you know listening to that podcast. Bronzeville is another uh, podcast. Is by um, the Tate Brothers, Lorenz Tate and Lamar Tate. And then Uh, They have um, Lawrence Fishburne along with them. And it's a, it's a audio drama about the golden age of Chicago, the black, the black Mm. Chicago called Bronzeville, what else? Um, is it the 1667 project? Mm. Yeah, I think it's the 1667 project. They have five episodes, but they're very informative. Um, talking about Reconstruction and you know slavery in America, but the way that they unravel it is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, can you tell? I'm a podcast head. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in the dark, chronicled this this uh, criminal case of this man who was convicted in Mississippi seven times and had his conviction thrown out because the prosecutor was racist.
2: Mm.
1: it's like season two of in the dark um ks layman was the book i was thinking of heavy Mm. he layman's heavy tanahisi coast between the world and me which i think is really it was a it was a book that tanahisi wrote his son um turned that
0: into that hbo thing
1: yeah and then he turned it and then turned into hbo yeah but the book is it's like real thin but it's mm-hmm. like it's so deep. It took me forever to finish it just because mm-hmm. it's so heavy. And it had I think it's very relevant for this time when we're talking about yeah. you know police brutality, <laughs> race, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um the Bible. <laughs> the Bible, people. Yep. <laughs> yep. There's some dope stuff in the Bible. Bo- listen, listen. Listen,
0: listen, listen. I read the, the Bible. Bible.
1: I don't read the Bible like y'all watch Love and Hip Hop. Like there's some shady stuff in the Bible. Yep. So yep. um
0: Listen, wait, wait. I, I I'm not gonna let you go away from that one. The Bible is dope. Right? Yeah. And it's and it's like the same, it's 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 uh, and I hope I don't miss the thought where I'm going with it. It's kind of like like the way we look at older people, right? We always be like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Right, yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Like, actually, if you sit down and listen to the stories, our old, the, the old, our look, elders did the same exactly. Grandma was that throwing works. that
1: thing back uh, yeah. at the and Cotton Club. <laughs> back here, her dad. In fact,
0: the Bible is the same way. And it's just right. like, you know, so you know, every type of scenario is laid out here now whether right. or not we got the eyes the ears the heart you know what i mean the connection to understand it and put it in today's terms is, is another thing but yeah i'm, I'm right. glad you added that that uh, that one on there man and there's so many different ways of uh dissecting it now where you don't just got to focus in on the king king james version because that oh, yeah deterred me at one point because i wasn't able to get it but what i did was And me and my pastor at the time, uh, Pastor Covington, we used to go back and forth because I used to, um, um, uh, one of my supervisors was a Jehovah's Witness, right? So Mm -hmm. she had given me the children's Bible, right? And Mm. I used to, uh, uh, like, you know, information is information. God is God uh, for me, right? So uh, she gave me the children's Bible. And what it did for me was, it actually helped me to find a way to get better connected with the King James version. So what I would do was, mm. I would read the stories in the kids' Bible as an adult, right? Uh, as an adult, I would read the kids' version, then I would take the actual, uh, uh, the the Living Living Word translation, Living translation. What is it? L whatever the mm. the the, the L, L, I think the L I B whatever uh-huh. it was. And, uh, you know what I mean uh, to. To Deep break it down. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. There we mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Uh to break it down into laymans for me. And then I would go to the King James Version, right? Mm-hmm. Because through those three stages, it helped me to have a helped me to build my confidence with understanding mm-hmm. what I was reading. And though it may not have been uh 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 how other people uh uh would say uh, you should learn it, that's what worked for me. And me and my pastor time, yeah. like how I don't know, throw that book away up, like nope. I don't care what you say. This has jewels and information in here for me, and it's working for me. Here.
1: I will say this. I signed with your pastor because it was yeah. because I never knew, I never read a, 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 a Jehovah's Witness Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember them arguing with me. Like, I was, you know, having a conversation. I don't really argue with folks over faith or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I love how another elder in my church says, she's like, I'm just... I'm just a beggar trying to tell another beggar how to get a piece of bread. Period. Mm. You know? And I can say hope. Okay, this is how I understand it. This is how I interpret it. But I'm not trying to, you know, get into a, yeah. a struggle or whatever. But what I will say, they, they you know, the lady gave me like a, 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 a Jehovah's Witness Bible. Mm. Some of those scriptures are different. Yeah. Then, then our scriptures and some of the scriptures have been changed intentionally. Because I asked her, you know, well, is Jesus the Messiah? So, no, no, he's mm-hmm. not. Like in this, mm-hmm. culture, you see, boom, boom, and I'm looking at my Bible, and it says something totally different. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we got to, the Watchtower Society. That's a conversation, anyway. But I'm glad it worked gotcha. for you, brother. Ah! I'm glad it worked for you. That's you right. And the truth is, God can call us, in, in he could use anything, you know. And so, exactly. so I appreciate, you know, that that it definitely worked for you. So,
0: okay. Okay. And I appreciate Get rid that. of
1: that vibe now, playing. <laughs> nah,
0: nah. It, 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 it is still here. It ain't going nowhere. You know what I mean? And, and and that's the that's the thing, man. I'm 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 gonna leave I'm gonna leave that there because uh yeah, I'm gonna leave that there. But yeah, but that's that's the thing. There is knowledge and beauty almost everywhere. Yeah. Some of it can be taken out of context, but one, at the end of the day, uh you had to decide who you are as a person. None of us mm-hmm. was there at the beginning of time right mm-hmm. so ultimately mm-hmm. it boils down to faith it boils down to what will make you him or her a better person and, and I ain't you know, gonna,
1: listen i ain't going to argue with you i'm going to pray for like i'm not talking about you specifically i'm saying yeah. people the the best thing you can do for folks is pray for them i yeah. remember a testimony of a um admitted uh satanist mm. who was a satanist and he was like a high ranking satanist and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff and like he considered himself a vampire all this kind of stuff he said he would give his he would pay his dues to the church of satan every year right he said one time he took it to this to the office of this the postal office and there's an old black woman behind the desk and she saw where she was um where he was uh bailing it to she said i'm gonna pray for you mm-hmm. and after that he said nothing in his life was right like everything mm-hmm. crumbling his his health Everything until he came into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and he, said, mm-hmm. he never he never had the scripture. So I do believe that prayer works. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? No yes, matter sir. what. So you know, look, okay. God, like I said, God can use anything. He all right? So he used Jehovah's Witness uh, Christian Bible. One of my old pastors said he snuck to church behind some girl he was trying to chase and, and end up getting saved. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. yeah one last thing i'll say and it's really quick for those who are interested in mental health services mm-hmm. um psychologytoday.com is one resource where you can find and i'm not like i'm not endorsing yeah. whatever but it's a database really um i know there's people you know when they ask me hey what kind of therapist should i use what kind of this what kind of that um but psychology to, and people don't know where to look right you can call your mm-hmm. health insurance company They can give you a list of people who are approved if you have health insurance. But also psychologytoday.com is um, a resource that you can use to see therapists in your area. Um, Black Therapists Rock, um, therapy for black men, men, uh, or I think it's either therapy for black men or therapy for black boys, therapy for black girls, Um, Mm -hmm. but whatever it is, like get some help. There's typically, if you don't, if you're insured or you're not insured, typically some therapists have sliding scales. Um, there might be a grant program in your in your uh, neighborhood or in your community where they'll pay for your pay for their, um, therapy. Typically, if you're working a job, if your job has a employee assistance program, they mm-hmm. provide like five or six sessions, depending on you know what the job is or whatever, for free as a part of part of your employee support program at your job so i would say for black folks get yourself talk to somebody yeah because this is a lot this is a lot just being black but especially being black during this time mm. talk to some folks you know and you'll you'll definitely feel better i do it my wife has done it We've done it with a couple like I ain't no shame in our game you know what i'm saying and, and there's everybody that i know at some point my pastor who is a trained psychologist
2: mm.
1: like she has a therapist because she says, you know, yep. the tow truck needs a tow truck every once in a while. That's right. So yeah, right.
0: That's right. Hey, listen, man. Hey, hey Pat, you are a dope individual. Uh, oh, man, I'm just I'm trying to be not... like you hey, when I grow up. Hey, listen, man. <laughs> I I I'm leaving it right there. Uh, the back community, thank you for staying uh staying engaged with us uh throughout tonight's conversation. We talked about so many things and uh pat i can't wait to deliver your story to the people brother you have yourself a wonderful night uh uh i wish you nothing but continued success and i look forward to catching up with you on your project soon
1: you as well brother
0: god bless god bless